Welcome to the Key Flow Podcast, the show where horse owners and riders can discover the latest trends, gain expert advice, and learn secrets from some of the best riders in the world. Here's your host, Frankie Reed Warrilo. Today, I am really lucky to have with me a very good friend of mine, Victoria Charlesworth, uh, and I will just quickly introduce her to you guys. Vicky studied at the Royal Veterinary College in London and in 2013 was when she graduated, so she's freshly graduated I suppose you could say. Uh, she then spent four months volunteering for the equine charity Spana in Morocco, after which she did a specialist equine internship in 2014 for 15 months at the Rainbow Equine Clinic up in Yorkshire. And she gained extensive experience there in emergency and critical care, as well as anaesthesia and orthopaedics. Currently, Vicky's now working at the Peasbrook Equine Clinic, which is based near Broadway on the Worcestershire-Gloucestershire borders. And today, I was hoping that Vicky was going to solve some of the problems that quite a few horse owners experienced over the winter. And we were going to cover a few topics such as how to deal with mud fever, how to prevent it um, and other sort of ailments that occur to the general horse owner throughout the winter. Um, So Vicky, starting things off, mud fever, how often do you see that throughout the winter? Uh, Unfortunately, this winter we've seen a heck of a lot of mud fever, mainly just because of the exceptionally wet conditions we've had uh, The reason we get mud fever is due to a breakdown of the skin's normal protective barrier and that's usually happening when the conditions are wetter so we've got increased rainfall and moisture in the skin tends to lead to to small breakages in which bacteria from the environment can get in. Um, Usually we've got small lesions but often this can progress to significant leg swelling. Um, I would say in terms of what you can do at home, um, certainly clipping away the hair and cleaning any um, abrasions, small cuts on in the heel area with dilute chlorhexidine, so hibby scrub, um, daily is beneficial. And, and unfortunately, I would suggest these horses are staying in and, and off that wet ground until certainly the, the wounds have healed up. And do you find, I mean, is this just a myth that horses with white legs are more prone to mud fever? I think horses uh, with white legs often do seem to to have a higher frequency of mud fever, um, but also they're more prone to sort of non-classical mud fever type lesions, so um, other inflammatory skin lesions that aren't necessarily purely bacterial in origin, such as immune diseases and sensitivity to to sun sunshine so photosensitivity and those sorts of things so not not all myth um more than coincidence i would say and there's also lots of people not necessarily professionals i mean lots of people who say that they've had hunt horses for 30 years or so and they um deal with treating horses legs after hunting because of course when you're out hunting especially this year there's been lots of wet ground and lots and lots of mud so it's not just necessarily being turned out in the field but whilst they're being ridden as well and people have lots of different techniques of how to prevent it and get rid of it Uh, from a veterinary point of view what would you say was the best preventative i think i think the key thing in terms of prevention is 
ensuring after you've had your horse out for example a day's hunting even just on a you know a wet sand school you need to clean and dry the legs and drying is the, the the most important thing i would say because as i mentioned before it's this constant moisture that leads to the breakdown of the skin barrier and once you have that you've got the potential for bacteria to enter which is what starts this whole cascade of problems for us so cleaning and drying legs after work after turnout is imperative and I would say that on horses, and this is specifically horses that do not have any current lesions, um, barrier creams are useful. So some people might apply udder cream, Vaseline, Sudocream, those sorts of things to provide a physical barrier. However, I think it must be emphasis these are not appropriate in horses that already have lesions. Why is that? Because in those horses you tend to get discharging skin, you've already got a bacterial infection set up in the leg. Um, by using a barrier cream, you 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 sort of blocking that off and you, you need those lesions um, to be dry and open to the air. The bacteria that often are involved are a bacteria called uh, Dermatophilus congolesis and those bugs like wet um, areas that are free of air so we need to make sure we've got the scabs off those cuts and allowing them to breathe so barrier cream's not useful in those cases and in order to get the scabs off i mean some horses would you use pseudocreme to soften the scab yeah lots of people say that you know even things like clinging the legs overnight uh, with different creams um, softens the scabs i personally will just give them a vigorous clean with you know, with hibby scrub as part of my treatment, but you know, I'm lucky that I will often have these horses sedated and well restrained. Whereas <laughs> owners on yards are sort of braving it a little bit in what they do. So, yeah, um, safety obviously paramount. But I, I think scabs off whatever way you think is best, but bear in mind, barrier cream is not suitable for horses with lesions. And when we went back to the prevention and applying a barrier cream. Before a horse even has a problem, would you say sort of the bulb of the heel and, and behind the back of the fetlock or where would, where would you be applying this cream in general? Yeah, heel bulbs, uh, the crevices uh, between the heel bulbs, pastern region mostly. Um, you know, uh, heavily feathered horses uh, tend to, to, to be okay if they have the feather but clipped out legs might be a different story. Certainly thoroughbreds very susceptible. Um, they don't ever feather up and I think those horses benefit most from barrier creams. Anything um, a little bit common, I think, should manage. <laughs> As is always the case, usually. Um, we touched on earlier not turning horses out if the fields are horrendous to help as a preventative for mud fever, but... Obviously, horses being stabled for lengthy periods throughout the winter, probably from November until the end of February, brings with it its own other problems. Um, what other issues are you seeing with horses that are stabled for lengthy periods? Well, actually, following on from mud fever, a point I didn't mention was uh, feather mites. And often people have what they think is uncontrolled mud fever, they're doing everything they can, they're having endless antibiotics, they've got horrible skin lesions, significant leg swelling, um, and they just don't know what's causing it. And actually, I think feather mites are more prevalent than we, we think. We imagine a heavily feathered gypsy cob to be the, the sort of key bearer of of this burden but I don't think that's necessarily true. I've certainly treated a lot of horses for the feather mite which is Coryoptes. Um, 
it's it's a harvest mite that's often in straw. Oh. Doesn't mean you've got necessarily bad straw. It's just uh, how this little parasite survives, really. And uh, those mites bury under the skin, uh, so they they cause the horse intense itchiness. And actually, the lesions that you see are, are more due to the self trauma rather than mud fever often. Um, so I think that's something to consider in your stabled horse with, you know, inverted commas mud fever. Um, and that's certainly perhaps, you know, the moderate risk for a horse that's going to be in um, persistently over winter. And how do you get rid of these horrible feather mites? They sound awful. Yeah, so I personally will use two injections of a drug called Doramectin. Um, it's not licensed for use in horses, but I know um, it's used widely um, and that consists of two injections into the muscle two weeks apart and obviously um, a vet would need to do that yeah absolutely um, an experience a lot of people will try different small animal um, sprays and topical things for mites but because they're burying under the skin I think it's it's really tricky to win with something that you're applying to the skin because mm. those parasites you know they're not on the skin surface they're, they're below so um I personally find that the injection is really helpful to clear the, the, the initial burden and then considering changing bedding, you know, it is something that people can be reluctant to do, but is I think important if you've if you've got this this case ongoing. So unlike mud fever where you can uh, the general horse owner at home can try and deal with the majority of issues on their own if you think you may have feather mites then contact your vet and try and get something sorted that way yeah absolutely and I think it's important to say with mud fever as well you know any significant bacterial infection of the skin will cause a cellulitis and that's not something you're going to manage on your own I think um, most of the time it's limiting the mud fever and you know you'll never get that severe leg swelling but you know, it can happen, particularly in more sensitive thoroughbred types, and, you know, you're never going to win on your own there, so uh, it doesn't mean you've done anything wrong. I think you will just need antibiotics and veterinary assistance to, to manage those cases. So, other issues that you have been seeing over the winter that are mostly related to horses being stabled, I'm sure there's a few respiratory problems. Um, what can, I mean, what are the most common problems you're seeing? Yeah, so, you know, as we've already touched on, a combination of um, skin problems, parasite problems, respiratory disease, as you mentioned, which is more classically what we call recurrent airway obstruction. Um, so these are horses that are hypersensitive to particles that they breathe in in the air around them. So that might be um, pollens, um, mites in hay, dust in hay, spores in hay all those sorts of things that are in their um, immediate environment um, during stabling, even just particles in the outside air, in fact. Um, in these horses, they are very sensitive. It sets up an inflammatory cascade in the lungs within sort of four to six hours, um, leading to constriction of the airways. And this is often, or more, more typically, in, in an older generation of horses, sort of 12 plus, um, that we tend to find this and I think in, in these cases um, ensuring adequate vent ventilation if you noticed any increased breathing rate um, or flared nostril breathing serious nasal discharge 
soaking hay and making changes to the immediate environment to reduce inhaled particles is really important. So not having the horse in the box when you're mucking out and throwing shavings or straw around that might be dusty. Um, sprinkling water onto the bedding after you know changing the bedding just helps to reduce the amount of particles in, in the air. Um, using hay gains on hay, soaking hay, all of those sorts of things are things you can do to limit it and you know improve things and some horses might need further veterinary intervention but I would say that the mainstay of managing any any case like that is going to be owner management really. Um, yeah and trying to ensure I guess that the the place where they're stabled has as much airflow as possible. Yeah, um, absolutely and you know another key thing is that often horses that are more sensitive and have a history of breathing problems might be stabled on yards where you know there are many other horses that are not affected but you must consider that that horse is being kept you know in a stable that might be ma being managed dust free but it's imperative to consider that you know the adjacent stables and the other horses on the same yard unless they're being treated in a similar way those those particles are still going to affect your mm. your sensitive horse so you know I think if you've got a horse that's really struggling with recurrent airway obstruction getting your friends on board to kind of manage the environment as a unit rather than just your stable is really important yeah so if we think back to uh, the topics we've covered today so the mud fever um, any sort of skin problems like the mites and respiratory issues it's all about prevention really to begin with and try and give your horse particularly in the winter when they're being stabled more and everything is a lot harder work I suppose um, that you've got to try and give them the best possible way of avoiding these issues. I guess the other concern is not a veterinary issue when the horses are stabled so much is that they're a lot more flighty to ride I suppose <laughs> a lot more dangerous so I must point out that everyone's got to stay safe when they're riding their flighty horses who've been stuck in for three months over the winter um so a few top tips to round off with mud fever what would be your top tips top tip clean and dry dirty wet legs drying being the most important barrier creams on horses that might have had a history of, of problems um you know, allowing the, the legs to breathe and staying off muddy pasture um, if you do have a problem. Um, hibby scrub cleaning, one teaspoon of hibby scrub in a litre of water is the right dilution. Anything stronger can be irritant. Um, if it's not resolving, uh, you might need some veterinary assistance, so don't give up. Um, all is not lost um, <laughs> respiratory disease manage your environment as a unit not just your individual horse um, and I suppose that's key especially if you've got horses on a livery yard absolutely yeah yeah. Um, and one thing actually we didn't touch on which is important now so before we end I think we should should mention is, is just the incidence of impaction colics certainly rockets a little bit over over winter as these horses tend to be getting less of their intake of nutrition from grass, which obviously has a high sort of probably touching on 90% water content. So that they're, they're consuming a more fibrous diet, um, reduced water content, increased stabling, less mobility, and often increased risk of impactions. Now, that is in a susceptible population. So not every horse will have an impaction because it stays in the box for a week, but monitoring the number of droppings and considering water consumption 
and also just getting your horse out of the box for a little turnaround, really important, I think. So if you've got a horse walker or even, um, you know, a fenced arena that they can go and have a whiz around in is really important, particularly if you can't ride them. So I hope that everyone has got their top tips here from our top vet, Vicky Charlesworth. Thank you so much, Vicky. It's been really, really great to have you on board. Um, and fill me in on some information that I was perhaps lagging. And hopefully we can all look after our horses really, really well. And spring should be just around the corner, we hope. Uh, but thanks very much, Vicky. And we'll hope to get you back on soon and talk a little bit possibly about breeding, which is one, which is one of your main interests. Excellent. Thanks very much, Frankie. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to request a topic to explore, you can find us on Facebook by searching for Keyflow UK, on Twitter at Keyflow, or our favourite at Keyflow Feeds on our awesome Instagram account. See you next time.